Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Hey, y'all. We made it through Colossians. Hey, yeah, snap, snap. And we're moving back into the Gospels, which is really like our comfort zone. That's the place we like to live. Yes, and with Jesus and his own ministry of preaching and teaching and embodying the reign of God wherever he goes. And during this series called Tell It Slant, with a nod to Emily Dickinson, who adjured us to tell the truth, but tell it slant. We'll be listening to Jesus's parables over the next several weeks from the middle section of Luke's gospel, starting tonight in Luke chapter 15. Parables are stories that Jesus told, and he told lots of them, and tonight we're reading the lost and found parables from that 15th chapter of Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion. 
And he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his enslaved persons, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the enslaved persons and asked what was going on. And he replied, well, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like an enslaved person for you. And I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, the one who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A confession I make surprisingly often, a sermon wherein I will ruin the jokes by trying to explain why they're funny. If I could convince you of one thing concerning the teaching ministry of Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth, circa early first century CE, it would be this. Jesus had jokes. The rabbi was funny. Not like class clown using humor to deflect real emotions from the heavy stuff funny, but more like absurdist humor based on his off-kilter experience of a world knocked off its axis by human beings who stubbornly pursue a life that goes against the God-given grain of the universe. I think he thought we were funny when we weren't being tragic, and even sometimes when we were. And he wanted us to see what he could see about that. I'm saying that humor helped Jesus say serious things, the truth about ourselves and this world God still loves. And it's a tragedy that we have usually missed the joke in order to honor, we thought, the seriousness of the scriptures. We have taken Jesus way too seriously sometimes, and I would argue that to not laugh when your rabbi tells a joke is a serious diss, maybe even a sin, and thus tonight I am calling all sinners to repentance. Yeah, that was a joke. Kind of. Anyway, parables, I would contend, are very often meant to be funny. 
Parables exaggerate. They traffic in hyperbole. Parables say that one thing is like another when it's only true in the weirdest possible sense. Parables pry open possibilities, forcing new neural pathways in your brain to interpret absurd, impossible things. Parables make up characters so diabolical that they can only be imagined rubbing their hands together in evil glee or twirling a handlebar mustache while they plot murder. Parables make up adult characters so naive that they are practically childlike, making business decisions that would hasten bankruptcy in the real world, but are brilliant in the slanted, skewed world of the parable. So over the course of this worship series, I'm encouraging you to loosen up in your reading and hearing of Jesus' stories. If something he says seems silly, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe that's the point. Like in these lost and found parables from Luke 15, a couple things that might have kept us from getting the joke. One is Jesus' use of the very serious category, sinner, which sounds really heavy. In those two little stories about lost sheep and lost money, Jesus invites us to imagine all the angels of heaven throwing a huge party over every single sinner who repents, in contrast to no party for the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There are at least a couple things that are funny about that. One is, whenever you imagine a party, what a party looks like, just imagine angels doing that. Like hanging streamers and tapping a keg. Do you see angels? Hiring a DJ, doing karaoke, cha-cha real smooth. Lane's Margaritas, a photo booth with silly props. Okay, it would not have been that in the imaginations of Jesus' first century audience, but they also knew how to party, yeah? With as much let-down-your-hair laughter as we do. They knew how to imagine all the angels of heaven canceling choir practice to celebrate every penitent sinner with a tipsy conga line, and that's funny. That gets me to the other thing that I think is fundamentally funny about these lost and found parables, Jesus using this category of sinner Rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents versus just a, I don't know, a heavenly yawn over 99 who don't need to. But is that really how we think he thought about us? I mean, isn't it kind of hard to imagine Jesus saying, well, you know, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who sin and those who don't. Wasn't he much more likely to say that we're all pretty fucked up? that we're all basically broken, seriously burdened, and that in his observation, the dumb fuckery is pretty much evenly spread out over all humanity, kind of baked in to the world that we inherited, and that God's project is much more about saving the whole enchilada right down to the dirt we walk on than about picking through the individual records of each one's righteousness or lack thereof. And if that is more our experience of Jesus' assessment of us, then why in these stories is he talking about one sinner who repents versus 99 who don't need to? Well, because those were the categories the VRPs were whispering about behind his back. Remember, that's what prompts all this parabling in Luke 15. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Meaning, this guy hangs out with all the people that we've decided are wrongity wrong wrong. 
who are outside our boundaries for belonging. And if he were truly tuned into what we say God wants, he'd be over here with us boring each other to death with our righteousness. Yeah, the VRPs were not known for their parties. So Jesus tells these little stories about lost and found sheep and lost and found coins. And he says, well, see, they're like sinners who repent. And it's as subversive as it is absurd because look, the VRPs assume that sinners got that way through some fault of their own, something they should be very sorry for and try so much harder about and do better, et cetera, et cetera. But in Jesus's story, is anybody seriously blaming the sheep for wandering away or falling behind? I mean, sheep are not exactly willful. They just sniff around for more sweet, nibbly grass. And if the shepherd's nose is buried in her phone or whatever, the hungry sheep just gets a little off course. And who blames the coin for being lost? It fell through a hole in a pocket or rolled off the nightstand when a sleepy hand groped for the snooze button. It is not the coin's fault it's lost. You might even argue that if a sheep or a coin gets lost, it's because somebody lost them. Like that time I lost my little daughter in a Target. I was perhaps too caught up in the fantastic array of unnecessary plastic objects and looked up to find she was gone. Her fault? At three years old? I don't think so. I did find her, by the way. She's right here. She's fine. So I find that it helps to get the joke. If I imagine Jesus putting air quotes around sinner, which is itself funny, Jesus and air quotes, just, can you see it? But while we're at it, we could add air quotes around righteous persons and need no repentance. Just to show that Jesus can play with the categories he's been given. But he is not going to say what the VRPs think he's going to say about that. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And if he's not smiling or at least smirking in your imagination when he says that, I think you might still be taking him too seriously. I think, too, that the little plots of each of those two stories are meant to be funny or at least puzzling. When Jesus says, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness, in the wilderness, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And I know, I know that we have been trained by a kajillion years of sermons to think that that's logical, that's a normal thing for a shepherd to do. But it's not. I mean, we should all be raising our hands, actually. We would not, because we would not. If we were decent shepherds, we would not leave the 99 to search for the one. Like any good small business person, we would have done our risk assessment before taking those 100 out to the public lands to graze. Our bookkeeper would have a column for anticipated flock attrition. Losses would be accounted for before they happened. It would be a dumb decision to leave 99% of your valuable, vulnerable inventory to get back the 1% that is likely already, well, let's just say too far gone to be recoverable. 
it's more plausible that the woman who has misplaced 10% of her financial assets would scour the floors or the ledgers until she found what was missing. But quite unlikely that she would then advertise any of that to her neighbors, much less wake them up in the night to announce both her foolish money management and the dumb luck that she got it back. What woman would not, Jesus asks. All the ladies, put your hands up in the air. The woman in Jesus' story is adorable and amusing precisely because she is not acting according to what is universally expected in her situation, which is what makes Jesus' question, what woman wouldn't do this, funny. My homiletical gamble tonight is that by thoroughly ruining all of Jesus' jokes, by explaining them, maybe we'll have a better chance of catching his point in telling them. I think that Jesus would like for us to recognize the ridiculousness of a religious system that purports to label people as fundamentally sinner or righteous, when indeed the system itself is produced, promoted, and policed by the people with power and privilege to declare themselves righteous and everybody else, by contrast, sinner. See, these are your categories, Jesus is saying. And they are absurd. They are a joke. Let me tell you a couple stories that show how ridiculous they are. And then, while his tax collector slash sinner friends are laughing along with him, and the VRP grumblers are scratching their heads because they think he might be talking about them having a laugh at their expense, Jesus escalates. He tells a third story. This time, not about a daft sheep or a non-sentient coin, but about a boy. A boy in a hurry to get out from under his parents' control and taste the delights of the wide world God still loves. And a father who doesn't have the stomach for enforcing reasonable boundaries and a missing second parent, because parenting is hard and single parenting is harder still. And an older sibling who is infected with an inflated sense of his own necessity. First kids are funny like that, I should know. It's a dysfunctional family at best, and maybe the younger son simply needs to escape the suffocation of their family of origin. Haven't we been there? And maybe, Maybe because we're primed to laugh by the two previous stories. We can laugh when this kid demands his inheritance from a not yet dead father and shake our heads in hilarity when the father willingly writes him a check. And maybe we can catch the humor of that beautiful boy reduced to slopping the pigs. All the funnier if you remember Jesus' own kosher-keeping habits, because no matter how hungry this boy becomes, he won't eat a pig. But he would eat with the pigs. And remember the accusation the VRPs whispered about Jesus? He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now Jesus has turned the joke on himself. He's out here having supper with the swine, just like that boy in his story. 
Our laughter fades when the paraboler tells us that the boy was starving, but no one gave him anything. That is, all the money he had spent buying rounds of drinks didn't buy him any lasting friendships. And now the party's over, and he has found a job. But what kind of sick, sad world can watch a working person go hungry? What does it mean when the wages you work for are not enough to prevent food insecurity, to prevent homelessness, to prevent real poverty? The working poor we have always had with us. Jesus was right about that. Though I am pretty sure he'd be glad to be proven wrong. Maybe because we've been primed by the stories of the blameless sheep and the guiltless coin lost and found by no fault or effort of their own, we are ready to see this boy go home. We are cheering for his return. We sort of become the prodigal father in the story, the overgenerous, overspending, overexuberant dad who throws parties like the angels in heaven for the family's biggest screw up and spending the other son's money to do it. Because he had given half his wealth to the son who left. Remember, everything that's still on the farm is designated for the son who stayed. The father knows that. Oh, everything I have is yours, he says to the elder boy. And it's kind of a confession, right? The fatted calf, the robe, the ring, the shoes, they're yours. I know, but we need them. We need them now to throw a shindig for this one who's come home. Come on. Come on, darling. Dance with me. Come to the party. No wonder the scowling older brother scowls. He's been working so hard all this time, depriving himself of pleasure, imagining that this is the life his parent would value the most. But it turns out there's more rejoicing in heaven over the one who tasted life and hit rock bottom and came home pleading for mercy, for belonging, for love undeserved, but still so essential for human life. No celebration in recognition of self-righteousness and scrupulous religiosity. There is no party in heaven or on earth for that. It's funny, and it's not. But either way, with me, Jesus says, it's a party. And whether or not you enjoy it is completely up to you. But I'm bum ching. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, We'll continually send you thanks. Peace.